This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is brought to you by Braintree. If you're a developer or manager of a mobile app and searching for the right payments API, check out Braintree. Braintree's new V0 SDK makes it easy to support multiple mobile payment types with one simple integration. To learn more and to try out their sandbox, go to braintreepayments.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 191 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Portland. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out to jsremoteconf.com. Go check it out. We're going to do an online conference in January, and some of these people are talking. We have a special guest this week, and that is Craig McKeechee. Hi, everyone. Do you want to introduce yourself? You haven't been on the show for a while. Yeah, I have been on the show one time before, but, you know, so I feel... Honored to be a repeat guest here, but my name is Craig McKeechee, uh, developer, mostly focusing on training uh, recently. And I was on the show before because I wrote the uh, JavaScript framework guide book. So people might know me for that. I blog at uh, funnyant.com. And that's about all. All right. Well, we brought you on today to talk about Stripe. So what makes you a uh, Stripe genius? <laughs> Some uh, years ago, if you want to know the truth on this, I was uh, getting into entrepreneurship. I'm sure, Chuck, you can relate since you're on the Entreprogrammers podcast. And I needed to hook up payments for a site that I have that, you know, long story short, I'm not even going to say the URL in, unless you want me to. Go ahead. That uh, does scavenger hunts for parents. So it like creates sort of an online uh, printable scavenger hunt out of riddles for people. So I needed to accept payments. So I kind of got into it back then. And ever since then, just been using it for different projects and sites and so forth. So, and uh, most recently, I worked on a course uh, for Pluralsight on the topic. So, spent a, quite a bit of time digging into uh, some of the parts like recurring payments and so forth that I hadn't uh, looked at before. Very cool. I was actually up at uh, Pluralsight's headquarters, I guess you would call it, uh, a few a few months ago. Kind of a fun office. Yeah. So what's the story with Stripe then? I mean, I use Stripe for my stuff. I guess, where do we start with Stripe? Yeah, that's a good question. So 
in your case, Chuck, maybe tell us about your your use. I would be curious to know what brought you using it. Well, there are a couple of things. First off, I started taking donations for the podcasts way back when. Uh-huh. Uh, I also wound up pulling together some online forums for the different shows. And so I started taking subscription payments. I have a pr- subscription video series that I have kind of neglected on Ruby on Rails called Rails Clips. And that also works through S- Stripe. And then the online conferences are also paid for through Stripe. So you've got quite a few things yeah, going on. Yeah, well, I'm a fan. I like getting paid. (laughs) Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I think, you know, for me, for me, the ease of use about the whole thing, (laughs) it really felt like it's very developer friendly, I think, Uh, particularly if you're, you know, in the JavaScript community as, you know, us being on this show, we we are, right? It's a very friendly to the JavaScript developer payment uh, solution, I think. And I agree with that. I have used Stripe for payments on my little DJ business. And I, I think, no, I always take like PayPal or check for programming stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure to set up and easy to work with and really have, uh, I enjoyed it. It's very customizable, whether you want to use the Stripe front end or your own front end. I really enjoyed it. One thing with Stripe that uh, I found speaking of how easy it is, is that it is really simple if depending on what you're doing with it. So setting up the recurring billing and stuff, that that was pretty easy. Taking one-time payments was really easy. But if you're taking one-time payments and you're accepting coupons, you have to actually build that yourself, even though they accept coupons on the subscriptions. I thought that was interesting. Right. That That is. And I remember kind of running across that, like, why would you need to build a custom form is what you mean, right? So yes. maybe, maybe we should take a few steps back. But yeah, if you have to build like a, you can use sort of their embedded form, which is like, you know, the MailChimp experience, right? Where you just drop a snippet of code into a page and all of a sudden you've got a sign up form or whatever sort right. of embed solution. But then, and you can customize that to a certain extent, but as soon as you need coupons, there's some other use cases uh, that come up pretty quickly, like A-B testing and stuff like that. That's when, you know, you need to roll your own form. But it you get a lot of granular control when you do that. You know, you get a lot nicer chance to do sort of some validations and so forth that, you know, with custom messages, that sort of stuff when you roll your own form. Yeah. The other thing well. is, is that if you want to just get started, you can actually embed the Stripe JavaScript into your page. And if you're just taking straight up payments and you're not doing anything fancy... You can just use their Stripe, I forget what it is, Stripe Checkout, I think it's called, and it just pops up a little payment form, and they enter their stuff, and it just works. And you don't actually have to build out a custom form at all. Yeah, right. you're a and pansy. Then... Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, uh, especially in business as an entrepreneur, I mean, that's one thing, one less thing I have to do. Now, in my and, case, and I actually... And consistent. Yes. People trust consistency. You know, so in my case, when I was accepting coupons, yeah, I couldn't do that. But in some of the other ones, it's like they click the button, they enter their credit card, done. Right. You just include a little bit of code and it's hooked up for you. Just to go into a little bit more detail about that, because we're kind of, it sounds like a lot of us have had a direct experience with it, but I think we're skipping through, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the what's going on is there's, yeah, there's a checkout.js script, which basically gives you an embedded form and you put a little bit of HTML uh, snippet in there plus that checkout.js script and it'll give you a button and when you click the button it gives you a modal di- a modal you know checkout screen with validation and everything kind of built in from scratch 
The other possibility is to use stripe.js. In that case, you need to kind of build the form up by yourself. Um, but then you get that fine grained control of, of the form and you have to do, write a little bit more JavaScript code. It's very, if you, even if you're just familiar with jQuery, it'll feel very comfortable to you, I think. And then you can use it. Yep. Can you actually talk about how the Stripe API works behind the scenes with that? Yeah, I think, you know, having a, a high level picture of, you know, how Stripe works helps a lot. So there's, you know, if you don't understand this, then, you know, sometimes when you're looking at Stripe in terms of, is it a JavaScript library? Is it a server side API? Is it, you know, this thing? How, how do I, how do I actually charge the card securely? It's kind of funny unless you have this, this kind of big picture. So let me try to, to take a shot at that. So you've really got, you know, three computers or three, um, sort of groups of computers communicating in Stripe's architecture, like a client desktop computer, uh, running a web browser. Uh, your application's web server and a server that hosts Stripe's RESTful API. So, or servers, you know, in that case, is obviously it's going to be, you know, I'm sure their API is it on one server, but let's just think about it as sort of three boxes for right now. So working with Stripe involves using either of its two client side libraries, like we talked about checkout.js or stripe.js to post credit card information, like a credit card number, expiration and CVC code directly to Stripe's API without it ever hitting your servers. And that's like the key, you know, the kind of uh, their innovation, I think, in this space. So there are some other um, services that are copying this now um, and doing the same thing because it's I think it was very clever use of uh, web standards. But they basically never send the credit card information to your web server. They just send it to their API server, and then they give back like a single-use token that represents the card. Then your browser posts the single-use token, but not the credit card information to your web server. And then your web server, once, once you're up, you know, running code in, say, Ruby or, you know, C Sharp or, you know, Python, whatever your preferred language is. On, or JavaScript. Uh, this is JavaScript Jabber, I should probably say. Node, right? You could be in Node up there. <laughs> You caught me there. I was like saying it and I was like, oh, did I just say that on JavaScript Jabber? <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're up on the, the, the web server and, and, uh, you're, you're obviously writing a node, right? And you can communicate from your web server to Stripe's API and you send it that token that you have. And it's sort of your, you know, your, your ticket to get into the concert. You know, you can say, Hey, you know, I've got a token. I can get in now and I can charge this card. And the token basically represents the credit card. And so then you can actually make a charge, but you're up on your server in a secure place where, you know, all your secrets are safe, hopefully. And then the Stripe responds back and then you send a response back from your web server back to the client. So it's kind of like, you know, two computers end up communicating both the client side browser gets you the token, then it goes up to your, that token gets posted up to your server, then you communicate with Stripe's API and it comes back. The nice thing about the Stripe API is, you know, it's all... JSON, RESTful, exactly what you'd expect. They do a great job versioning the API as they've evolved it over time and have just a really nice interface. I believe it's written in uh, Backbone, I've heard before, their dashboard interface that people are familiar with as well. So they were kind of way ahead of the curve in terms of knowing that JavaScript is going to be the way and so forth. Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate the one thing besides that it just works and it's simple that is the most important thing to me. That you talked about, and that is, is that the credit card information never actually goes on my server. I rec recognize we have an international audience, but what that essentially means is that 
Yes, I am mindful of security on my servers, but I am not then liable for the credit card information because it never hits my server. And in the U.S., there are specific regulations that have been put in place that make you liable or you have to meet certain standards in order to collect that credit card information. And so the fact that I don't have to go hire an expert to help me do that, the fact that I can just collect payments and not worry about that kind of thing on my server and that kind of thing in my business is a major thing for me. Yeah. And, and you just, you know, made the argument for me. I'm glad you, you said that, but it's basically the laws are PCI compliance. If yes. people have heard of them before, they're the payment card industry data security standard. Right. And, um, I found, uh, you know, I was digging around trying to find more information when I was doing the course. And some of the most interesting things I found was that, uh, there were some numbers out there about, uh, cost per year on the low end for a, a PCI compliance audit. So for, in order for you to be compliant with PCI, these are the costs for you to hire a consultant, you know, to help you through the PCI compliance, you know, process. And the, at the low end, it was twenty to thirty thousand dollars a year. Average was two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year. And in the top ten percent, you know, I'm assuming larger businesses, it was over a half million dollars to uh, maintain PCI compliance. So, you know, a lot of people talk about Stripe's fees. It's pretty normal, like PayPal or whatever, two point nine percent. But compared to some of those numbers, I mean, it seems like quite a bargain for not having to deal with that to me. Yeah, we just did an episode on uh, HIPAA and touched on PCI compliance on Web Security Warriors. So if anybody's interested in that, you know, I'll link to that. But um, I, as, as part of DAPLI, we are trying to, we, we kind of want the idea of secure by default, not kind of, we absolutely want the idea of secure by default. And, um, so we've been looking into that and there's, there's a lot of subtle things that you have to do. I mean, like a lot of it's pretty simple, like have HTTP, HTTPS, duh. But there's some, some stuff that's more subtle, like how you handle logs, how you make sure that when an exception is thrown, that errors don't leak information, like a form post data could not be exposed during an error exception, like, uh, auditing what users have done which actions there's a lot of stuff that goes into that and it definitely is really valuable to have something so simple as stripe where i just don't feel the pain yeah and there's a i'll include it for you guys in the show notes you may have even seen this when you were researching yourself but there's a really great resource it's kind of like a dark art this whole pci compliance thing and what you have to do but there's uh one guy that had a uh, a business cash star online his name's Ken Cochran and he posted on his blog he basically you know didn't have the funds to hire you know the consultants to come in and do PCI compliance so he had to read through all the papers and figure out what does this really mean what do I actually need to do and he documented it pretty well on his blog um so I've I've thrown the link out there it's definitely worth reading it goes over some of the details of like what do I actually need to do you know I need to do penetration testing I need to you know make sure to take care of these logs like you said that kind of stuff so I found it very enlightening. So one thing we talked about before the call is what happens when things go wrong. So I know I've played with Stripe a little bit on my own, but I have more experience with another provider. And one pain point we've had with this other provider is when something goes wrong, because they don't always have visibility into the issue, they will return a 200 with a success false which seems a little bit uh, unintuitive. I know AJ has some additional thoughts on this. So we can get AJ's thoughts, but then also when he's done, kind of 
how does Stripe handle things when it doesn't work as expected? When a lot of times like users will have restrictions on their card because they're making an online purchase or something like that. So, and I'm, I'm interested to hear that too. My experience was browsers don't handle error messages the same way. And when the Firefox phone came out, I was working on an auction site and we were returning like 400 and 500 level errors. And we didn't need it to work on the Firefox phone specifically, but I was testing it in different environments because I wanted to make sure that, you know, things worked. And I was really excited about the Firefox phone at the time. And what I found was that I would not get error messages on the phone. And it really like weirded me out. And I spent like hours trying to figure out what was going wrong. You know, that thing where, I don't know, it it came down to like actually just deleting a whole bunch of code and starting from scratch, adding one line, adding one line, adding one line. And it turned out that the Firefox phone at the time didn't handle like 500 error messages in like it didn't allow a user to get them. And we've seen that in Chrome and in Firefox and Internet Explorer at varying degrees. But like depending on whether it's a 400 or a 500 or if it's a 404 or when you're using a a web request, you don't always get back the information unless it's a 200. If it's a 200, it's going to work everywhere. And then you can check inside the message to see what the error is. Obviously, you want something more descriptive than success false. But that was the use case I saw for doing 200 OK as an error message. And, And I actually had some debate with other developers on the team about that. And because I was like, well, do we want to support just some clients that we're aware of or do we want to support all clients? Right. To address the first question a little more directly, that that's a good point. I think, you know, when things go wrong, the, the major thing I see with Stripe is just that it's a lot easier to set up a test environment and actually debug and test your code and see and, you know, so you don't have to, like, set up an entire infrastructure yourself in order to get a test environment going. Right. Because a lot of these what happens when things go wrong, it happens because you're afraid to, you know, fake charge a card or, you know, they don't have good you know support for that. So, for example, when you go into the Stripe dashboard, there's like a uh, toggle switch, which you could switch from test environment, like the whole entire interface over to a test environment from a live environment. And then you're able to and there's things in the interface like a common part of of Stripe that we haven't really gotten to yet is, you know, webhooks, which are essentially user of, I think we're all familiar with it, but it's, you know, an event, a user-defined HTTP callback, basically, like events between websites. Well, these are, you know, could be very tricky to, you know, figure out when you write an endpoint for that, whether that endpoint, whether all the paths in the code have been covered, because you're kind of relying on the message um, being in a certain format, you know, to see whether errors happen. I think uh, besides having the test environment, when, when you're once you're in the test environment in, in Stripe's dashboard, you can do really um, useful things like send test responses for di- basically trigger events uh, manually that you want to happen. So let's say you know if there's a refund, a charge refunded, or a trial end that you want to test and see what a message would look like from Stripe. You could just click a button and say, oh, "Yeah, send me a charge." Uh, charge refunded or a trial end event and you can send and you can set it to a test endpoint including your local host and i go over in the course it's a little bit too deep for this but maybe you, you guys have probably run into this if you've worked with any sort of webhook api where you need some sort of i used something called ngrok uh, which is you know it creates a, a tunnel a public tunnel to your private local host so that you can actually 
temporarily, you know, basically get the webhook event sent to you right into localhost code and then still debug through it. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, you know, it's basically hard to debug something that doesn't have an interface um, and it's not predictable. But if you use one of these, uh, you know, sort of tunnelers like ngrok, you can, you know, test your webhooks locally and step through the code and see what's going to happen when they send me this message asynchronously. Yeah, I've used RunScope to monitor my APIs, and it's it's pr- pretty handy. It actually records it and then can play it back, kind of like what you were saying there, except it actually yeah. sits between Stripe and my production webhook. And that way, if there's a bug in the production system, I can just play it back later. Yeah, and I use, they have a, RunScope has a, a free request bin. I'm sure a lot of people use requestb.in, I think it is. So I use that to kind of show the, how the webhook was working in the first place in the course. And then, you know, when I needed to actually debug things and take it to that next level, that's when, you know, I brought in, a, you know, one of these tunneling solutions like NGROC. So, so that's part of the answer. I mean, I kind of focused on webhooks there, but I think it's really just about being able to emulate a production environment you know, safely so that you feel like you can test all the edge cases. Yep. So I have to say the web hooks were the hardest part for me in implementing Stripe. Hooking up the payment form, fine. But doing the rest of that work, uh, just figuring out, because they have uh, a couple dozen events that they can send to you. And most of the time you really only care about one or two of them. You know, the payment was declined or the payment was accepted. I mean, even with subscriptions, it's the same kind of thing, right? You're just looking for that that payment and then you make requests to the Stripe API to get the rest of the information so that you can renew somebody's subscription. But setting that up so that it would capture that information and do the right thing with it. And I'm actually using queuing on the back end, so it sets up a job and then runs it all asynchronously. Not in JavaScript, incidentally. I'm running it in Rails. But it's really handy that way. The problem was just figuring out what all of that looked like and being able to parse the information they sent over. You know, I have some resources prepared, you know, to, that I was going to recommend, uh, you know, for people who want to learn more about Stripe. But one of them is pretty relevant to what you're just talking about. And that's uh, Pete Keen, who wrote uh, Mastering Modern Payments, uh, which is a book basically just about using Stripe with Ruby, with Rails in particular. My course is more focused on for .NET developers, ASP.NET. But he has an excellent free cheat sheet out on the web called the Stripe Event Cheat Sheet. If you just Google Stripe Event Cheat Sheet, you'll hit it as well. And it's just really good for saying, hey, if you're in this scenario, here's the five events that Stripe is going to fire to you when these things happen. It's, you know, one of those pieces that's kind of Stripe's documentation is very good, but it's just kind of missing this, this scenario-based look at what happens, you know, when you're going to get certain events. So I thought that was a great resource. That's really funny that you bring up Pete Keen because I just got done talking to him at an hour and a half ago for the freelancer show. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, he's moved on to doing a more how to run your business type yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, that's what we talked to him about over there. That's funny. So let's just say that I want to take payments. I put the JavaScript on the page. I set up the form and I get everything set up and I have my web hooks set up so that when stuff happens, I get notified and the right thing happens. What else do I have to know about in order to effectively use Stripe to run an online business? Well, I think, you know, one piece that we maybe sort of lightly touched on was, you know, we need, you need probably some sort of, or you'll want some sort of server side library to work with to actually make the charge when it hits your web server. So you get your token back from Stripe's web API. 
uh, comes back to the browser in JavaScript, then you post that token up to the web server, to your web server. And it seems like Stripe has, is big in supporting Ruby. They also have Python, Java, and Node, um, Go, and iOS you know, APIs. And basically what these are are wrappers that let you, you know, actually call their charge API, but it takes care of some of the serialization and deserialization that goes on between you and the, and their web API so that you're not just making raw HTTP requests and dealing with the input and output and so forth. So they, they maintain a lot of these libraries. Um, in the .NET space, there's an open source one, uh, stripe.net by, uh, Jamie Davis that I, I really like to use, but there is no official .NET library, but they do have Ruby ones, Python, Java, and so forth, as I mentioned before. So if you bring up their documentation, not like the getting started guide, but the actual documentation for their API, you can select the language at the top and it'll actually show you how to make the calls with their libraries for Ruby, Python, etc. So I don't know if it defaults to Ruby or just remembers that that's usually where I'm living. But yeah, so all my code examples are in Ruby, and if I wanted to switch to like Node.js, all I'd have to do is click on JavaScript, and it switches right over and gives me the code examples in there. In right. That language. And then I I also like the fact that they even show them like with curl, right? So you could just curl their API, mm-hmm. which is it was pretty common, but but that's pretty neat. So, I so love that's one piece. Curl example. <laughs> Makes me feel like there's no, no hidden sauce there, right? Like it's just I, I can use this, right? The other thing, you know, you mentioned what else are we missing? I think another piece is, so if you're building that form custom, if you're not using, say, an embedded form, right, if you're building a custom version of it, the other thing I ran across that was really useful was the jQuery payment plugin. And this is actually written by Stripe, but it's an open source project. So you could use it, you know, whatever payment system you're using, I would take a look at this library. You could tell that it, it basically what happened, I think, is they open sourced you know, in their embedded form, the form they just do for you and they have all the validation built in and the credit card detection and all that logic that kind of seems easy at first, but the more you get into the edge cases with it and supporting lots of different credit cards and so forth, you know, it gets pretty complicated. They open sourced uh, that part of checkout.js and made it into a jQuery plugin called jQuery.payment. And so, you know, you could use it with whatever payment solution. So the kinds of things it does is like input masks. So, you know, you've entered a credit card on a site before and it gives you the spaces between the different parts of the credit card. The part I really like is it does card detection of types. So, you know, can do, you know, neat things like if you've ever been on a site and you enter a credit card, you know, that you can detect what type of card it is based on the first couple digits. And then you can say highlight that card on the page so that you know, the user gets a good feeling that you recognize their card and what type of card it is instead of having them pick the type. It does input masks for a month and year. So you can, you know, if you've ever used a checkout, which I'm sure you probably have, where you have to choose from two drop downs for the month and the year, um, you know, this allows you to do one input box that's like, you know, you type in 10 slash, you know, 2015 or whatever, and uh, it puts the slash in and, and just lets you kind of tab through the interface and makes a great user experience. This is not security stuff, but this is, you know, making a better user experience. So there's also one called card.js that's pretty slick too. I'm, I want to see a link to the one that you just talked about and so I can take a look at it, but they're yeah. both pretty slick. Sounds like. I feel like I did look at card.js. I have no, and it's, it seems like it's been around a little bit longer. I do feel like 
you know, I, I'm guessing that the Stripe library has probably had more use cases hit it, if you know what I mean, <laughs> because it's out there as part of Stripe and it's, you know, it's a sure. company. A lot of people use it and so forth. So that's what makes me, whether rational or not, feel good about that library in particular. Does there happen to be a demo page for it? I'm not seeing one here. On the it's link. on the blog. So if you do like, uh, if you just Google jQuery payment, it'll probably, so it's not part of their official documentation because an open source project, right? Uh, just by Stripe. It was written by Alex McCall, who you guys might be familiar with, right? From, he wrote, I think, JavaScript web applications, the O'Reilly book, and has done a few other very public things, I think. Okay. This makes it really clear the components that if you want to build your own Stripe-like interface. I mean, I think that both Checkout.js and Card.js have like sweet user interfaces. And it looks like this jQuery.payment would help you build an interface that has all that functionality built in and let you style it as pretty as you want. Yeah, I'm looking here. I I just should take a look at at, uh, Card.js again. Yeah, but essentially they just extracted out of what checkout.js is, you know, the, the, the user interface stuff, the validation logic, and just pulled it into a plugin, basically. So something just came to mind, and I'd like to hear your, your thoughts on this. I noticed when I was working with Stripe, there's like a dozen different things that could go wrong, right? And we're not talking about like bad, like something's wrong with Stripe or something's wrong with the the programmer. We're talking about like a card's not valid or like the authorization fails even though the card is valid and the address is valid or like there's like lots of different parts in the process where something could go wrong if you're doing a cap uh, an authorization and then a capture blah 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 i mean there's just there's a lot of different places and what i found was i was using promises and it just made everything dead simple because i would have a bunch of success cases and then a reject handler and the reject handler would just like go back to an earlier state that was like known good for that waterfall of potential successes. And then if all the potential successes went through, then it would go through to the next part. And there's, you know, there's what Stripe doing, there's what my server's doing, there's what my UI is doing. And until I started using promises on it, I was like, ah, how am I ever going to handle all these cases? And then it just simplified. Um, Do you have a strategy you recommend for handling the way that user flow can can go with all those different pieces and servers that you're interacting with. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great use of promises. I'm thinking back to myself about the, you know, the sample code I wrote for the thing. I honestly don't think I use promises, but but I was thinking about why. And I think it comes down to I kind of trusted Stripe as a server to send me back, you know, a, a decent message, right? for it. And I didn't need to do too many different things depending on what message it sent back. I just showed, you know, displayed that message the way my interface worked. Now, if you had an interface that worked differently, you know, you might have some more edge cases, but I used sort of the, you know, the validation plugin to catch all the upfront stuff. And then if it was more like, you know, the cards rejected or the cards expired or, you know, funds aren't sufficient, you know, all those different messages really just came back looking the same to me from Stripe. So I didn't have to, um, you know, deal with that, which it sounds like in your case, you had, you know, a bunch of different, uh, you know, paths there. The other thing I'll say is, you know, just related to that, but not directly is, you know, there are a bunch of test credit card numbers that Stripe gives you. I think they're more industry standard test numbers. So when you're in the test environment, you can plug in one of these numbers and get and kind of follow all the different use cases. So, you know, all the ones that some of the ones I just mentioned. So it makes it really easy to, to make sure you're covering it's not this 
I don't know what this API could possibly send me back. You know, it's pretty well defined that if you type in this number, you're going to get this, you know, this kind of uh, an error case back from it. Yeah, and I remember spending a lot of time on playing around with that, like entering in the four 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 number, and then like, what if I type in a wrong zip code? What if I type in a wrong validation date? What if I type in a and and just kind of exploring that way, and that was so useful. Yeah, it was very helpful. And, you know, most of the, the server-side libraries, obviously, they're written in a lot of languages that make it easy to unit test like Ruby and so forth and, uh, you know, Node, uh, JavaScript in particular. So, you know, you just use the same approaches you'd use, you know, writing any code for those languages to write some unit tests uh, for these things. But a lot of times it really comes down to, well, I want to see that message that comes back from the server. It needs to be more of an integration test. I want to see, you know, the response that's going to come back from Stripe so I know that I'm handling it correctly. Another question that I had, different topic, but tenanted applications. So I want to take in payments on behalf of multiple partners and then disperse payments back through multiple partners. Up to this point, the only thing I've used Stripe for is just like single business. And that's what we've been talking about. You know, that's what Chuck was saying and everybody else, I think, so far. But what about the case where you're handling payments on behalf of your customers? Yeah, I mean, I think a good, you, you know, the, the pillar client for Stripe on this is Kickstarter. You know, they're, they're obviously handing payments on behalf of lots of people and they have, there's a part of the API called Stripe Connect that's, you know, pretty, it's, it's a newer part of Stripe. Um, and it covers those use cases that you're talking about mm-hmm. where, you know, you've got well, basically you're, you're creating a marketplace or a platform where people need to get paid. I'll be honest, you know, I haven't worked with that. It's not really covered in my course. It's kind of, it ended up being a three hour course just covering, you know, it gets pretty complicated, you know, handling recurring payments and so forth and an application and sort of signing a user in when you're looking like a software as a service application. But I do think that's an interesting part of it. And I, when I was talking to the straight.net author, I know he was updating his library to include the connect, the parts of Stripe connect. So it's, it's like its own whole part of the API, a new part that's has just come into existence recently. Yeah, I've been looking at that for the remote conferences website that I'm building. I've got a handful of people who want to do remote conferences. And so, yeah, essentially what you do is you make the charge the same way, except you have their identifier for their account and you tell it how big the fee is. And so it's 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 relatively simple. And they just authenticate their Stripe account and tell which uh, sub-account to connect to via OAuth, I believe. That sounds cool. So one of the things that I really like about Stripe is just the fact that it's very pervasive, right? And it has a lot of partners that it integrates with, which I think is really awesome. For example, I was, I've done some stuff with uh, conferences and Tito has a very natural, nice integration with Stripe. Are you aware of like other services out there that have an integration with Stripe? Yeah, I mean, off my head, you know, that's that's a tough one. I do know that there's a new, I've heard a lot about the uh, Lyft company that like does an app. You're thinking more about services though, I think is yeah. your question. So well, Shopify, was, I, Shopify yeah. is the big one I know about, you know, they're sort of the, a big player in, in that space. But yeah. Well, it just seems like they've got such a solid service that a lot of, especially the newer third-party services that are coming out saying, hey, you need to take some kind of payment of some kind for whatever. Like Tito is customized around doing tickets, ticketing, right? But that this is getting to be pretty popular, which I think is very cool. It speaks a lot to how great of a service Stripe has. Yeah, I see what you mean. I do know 
of someone who's like created a WordPress plugin and basically has, you know, made a living off of just the WordPress plugin that uses Stripe, you know, plug Stripe into mm. WordPress. You know, that's another example of kind of what I think you're talking about is if you build the, you know, sort of a platform and a nice API, then people can make products that kind of sit on top of it and make it uh, easier to plug payments into to specific uh, use cases, right? Right. One other one that's interesting to me is my email provider, Drip. They provide Stripe integration where essentially they connect to the through the API and over the webhook. And what happens with them is that then when somebody pays for whatever, then you can set up rules so that when it gets notified through the webhook, it adds them to campaigns or tags them in certain ways or things like that, which is also really, really interesting. Yes, I've definitely seen that one. I'm a Drip user myself, and that is very cool. Just looking at the number of companies that you know, use it in general, not, you know, not necessarily as an integration. Uh, you know, it's just a great platform. I think, you know, another use case, I know there's a whole entire, uh, business built on Stripe analytics, like building a dashboard out of the Stripe data that comes from the Stripe API. Barometrics, I believe is the name yes. of the company. I was um, trying to remember what it was. That's it. Yep. And I think since they've done so well and they're pretty public about things, there's been a few, at least a few people who've copied that idea. So yeah, I, didn't, I don't know why I didn't think of that right away, but that they're a really, I th- what's interesting about how they grew their business on marketing online, even though it's kind of a tangent, is they, you know, just made their data about their business available through their own product. So you could watch their, their business grow by looking at the Stripe dashboard for their actual business. Yeah, they had somebody at MicroConf that talked about that and it was really fascinating. One other thing that I really like about Stripe is the dashboard itself. So uh, you have this really nice dashboard that shows you how many payments have come in, what days they were on. You can search for customers. So you can actually go back through and really get a good feel for what's going on with the payments coming in by signing into your Stripe account and on Stripe.com. Yeah, I really love the dashboard. Uh, you know, one thing I didn't realize until I did the course was if you click you know, sign up on their homepage. If you, you know, you're just curious and, you know, listening to the show, you can actually not create a, an account. You can create the account later. There's a little link that says skip this step and you can get a look at the dashboard with just some fake data in it without ever signing up, which I think is just super slick, basically. Yep. So you know, anybody can kind of get a look at, at what this dashboard we're talking about, even if you don't intend to use it right now, if you just want to see, because it's a great user interface. Particularly when it first came about, it was kind of ahead of its time. We've seen a lot more innovative interfaces on the web, but at the time, it was uh, one of the first sort of single-page apps that I saw. So I'll bring up a weird story. When I first got Google Fiber, I went into my options because, you know, I want to I want to get the max out of this Google Fiber. So I want to be using IPv6 and Jumbo Packets. Like, I want it to scream, right? And I turned on Jumbo Packets and... You know, it, could you could I notice the difference? No, it's like the difference between you know 320 MP3 and FLAC. Like you, nobody can tell the difference, right? But everything seemed to be fine until I did a Stripe payment, and then it kept on failing. And it turned out that one of the routers or proxies or something in between me and the Stripe payment server couldn't handle gigabit jumbo packets. And it caused an app, an internal application error, like a network error, like connection reset, like a 500 internal application error. Weird. Right? <laughs> that is really weird. It's a great Stripe related story for sure. And then I, um, 
get contacted and support about it. And like, nobody knew what the heck was going on. And then I realized that it was actually, cause they're like, we can't reproduce that. And I eventually found out it was the, the jumbo packets. So I turned that off. I don't use jumbo packets anymore. <laughs> you broke the internet stripe. Doesn't sound like it's a stripe problem. Sounds like it's an AJ problem. No, it was a stripe problem. Like it was their server that, that couldn't receive a jumbo packet. That's definitely an internet thing. It's probably worth mentioning that PayPal bought a company called Braintree, which most people probably heard of. And I think it has a, a similar look and feel and purpose to Stripe. It's a, you know, competitor. So I think that's the other sort of 10,000 pound gorilla in the space, if you will. I wonder how they feel about us doing this show, considering that they're a sponsor. Anyway. So, uh, slick plug. Doesn't Braintree have lower payments or um, lower? Lower percentage, isn't that like their big thing? I don't know. I really haven't compared them. My my understanding, I need to go look, but my understanding is that they offer some lower level features that are you know more more like bare metalish, and that their payment cost structure is a little bit more favorable. Yeah. By the time they were sponsoring, I was pretty heavily invested in Stripe, and I wasn't willing to do the work to move. But the, it does look like a pretty solid product, and it does a lot of stuff. So. Yeah, I don't know what the other ones are like, but one thing I do like about Stripe as well for my online ticketing needs, for example, is the fact that they don't charge a different percentage if it's an American Express card. Yeah. So that's really nice. Well, the reason that, that a lot of the other ones charge that is because American Express charges them more right. to process the card. Right. I know American Express charges more, so it's nice to have a service that actually doesn't charge more right. for that. And you'll see a lot of information about, for a long time, Stripe was kind of behind in supporting international payments. It's really pretty dead even from what I can see now. Like, you know, Stripe actually has more countries, but, you know, a lot of them are still in beta, right? Mm -hmm. And so forth. So I'm sure, I think it's kind of a wash at this point between the two, for sure. Well, (laughs) the countries, that made it sound like you said the countries were in beta. Mexico, Mexico in beta. This is beta version of Mexico. It's, it's like Google's products, right? They've been beta, in beta forever. Yeah, they've been in beta exactly. forever. Oh, oh, oh! Braintree has Bitcoin. Yes, they do, and so does Stripe. Though I have to say, oh, oh they do? Stripe has Bitcoin now. Yes, yes. Did, just, is anybody just excited like, by that except for you, AJ? Hey, dude. <laughs> did, I don't know what the future of Bitcoin is, right? And no one, no one does. But it's something that's interesting in the idea that a person can take charge of their finances rather than having it be institutionalized. And we know that there's a lot of problems in the institutions. I mean, there's a lot of benefits there too, but there's, there's a lot of institutionalized problems. Like, for example, anybody, this actually happened to me two months ago. I was getting charged for somebody else's Comcast account. Okay. And what happened was they had just mistyped their account number and the digit by which they had mistyped their own account number happened to be mine. And there were no protections in place. Like there is nothing protecting you in a bank. Like a bank is the most insecure place to keep your money. Like you're better off keeping it in a safe box in your house. A bank's kind of convenient because you get the debit card and you can make an online transfer to your credit card to pay it off. But it's, it, it's incredibly insecure. It's just not a good place for it. And I like the idea of what Bitcoin presents with being able to take charge of, of that. And there, there's something, there's something nice there that distributed. Um, it's, AJ, it's more I like have, I have many stories of home burglary that would counter that point of. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. It's just, I feel weird because I've, I've had experiences with banks where my money was lost and they couldn't tell me how it was lost and they wouldn't recover it for me. They just said, Oh, it's gone. And I'm like, well, where did it go? And they're like, well, it was, there's an intermediary bank and there's this and there's that. And I'm like, well, you're a bank. Don't you like, you've got one job, right? Like keep track of the money. Like where the money go? And they're like, well, it was faxed and then written down by hand. And then, and I'm like, what? Yep. It's a bank. That's the way they work. So I think that there's some future in this concept of what Bitcoin represents. And I take, I, what people pay me in Bitcoin for programming sometimes. I mean, I don't require it, but I feel safer transferring Bitcoin than I do transferring with my account number because I know from my personal experience how vulnerable those account numbers are. Hmm. Very interesting. But I wanted what I wanted to say before we got on that rant was Braintree looks a little bit more developery, like it looks a little less consumery and a little bit more developery, and that seems very intentional. Their font on their website is uh, monospaced. Braintree strikes me as more geeky. Just looking at their documentation right now. Well, that's a criteria. Monospaced font. It it speaks to me. (laughs) Hey, but fonts matter, right? You've seen that. uh, I love you versus I, I. I love you. I will always find you. Where when it's in like a creepy font and then like a cursive font. Have you seen that meme? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, did you have your uh, birth certificate reprinted in monospace? No, it came that way, and Utah doesn't accept it. <laughs> <laughs> North Carolina birth certificates. Utah doesn't like them. AJ doesn't actually have a birth certificate. He has like a he was date. hatched. He has a hatch yeah. certificate. <laughs> no, I was gonna say a date of launch. <laughs> <laughs> date of launch. Oh yeah, a launch date certificate. <laughs> That's what my uh, business partner Bryson would tell you. Um, sometimes he's like, "I can't believe you did X Y Z," and I'm like, "Yeah, well, I am a human." And he's like, "No, you're not. You're a machine, and machines don't do that." <laughs> Aren't you due back at the factory to have your bolts tightened? What? <laughs> Did you know? Have you never heard that before? That's from like a liar, liar. I think. Oh, all right. Let's go ahead and do some picks. I we're think we pretty track. much killed this one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Before we get to the picks, I just want to acknowledge our silver sponsors. Once again, this episode was sponsored by Braintree. So go check them out at BraintreePayments.com/slash/JavaScriptJabber. If you need any kind of credit card processing or payment processing in general, they're a great way to go, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. This episode is sponsored by Thinkful.com. Thinkful.com is the largest community of students and mentors. They offer one-on-one mentoring, live workshops, and expert career advice. If you're looking to build a career in front-end, back-end, or full-stack development, then go check them out at Thinkful.com. This episode is sponsored by TrackJS. Let's face it, errors cost you money. You lose customers, server resources, and time to them. Wouldn't it be nice if someone told you how and when they happened so you could fix them before they cost you big time? You may have this on your back-end application code, but what about your front-end JavaScript? It's time to check out TrackJS. It tracks errors and usage and helps you find bugs before your customers even report them. Go check them out at trackjs.com slash jsjabber. Uh, Joe, why don't you start us off with picks? Oh, I have to start us off. All right. I will start off the picks because my picks are always the best. And Amy, I'm looking at you. You got to step it up this week. <laughs> uh, there better be some cat-related picks, Amy, or else I'm going to be highly disappointed. Oh, God, I need to think of something quick then. Christmas cat-related. Cat, cat picks or cat picks? <laughs> All right. So my main pick this week is going to be the Star Wars movie because by the time this comes out, we'll just barely come out. So I don't care how crappy it is. Go see it. <laughs> and I, I, I highly identify with the guy on Simpsons when the comic book guy came out of the, 
Star Wars movie, and he said, worst Star Wars movie ever. I will only see it two more times today. <laughs> I highly identify And you bought with your that. tickets already, I assume. Right? Oh, yeah. Tickets have long been bought. I'm actually really disappointed in myself because I'm only going to see it once opening weekend, but that's because no. I'm traveling and I couldn't make other arrangements. But Get your priorities in line, Joe. I do have poor priorities. I should have rescheduled our travel. Are you but indoctrinating one- your kids? Uh, oh, yes. Okay. Definitely. Then, we then it's semi We've been indoctrinating her. We've been showing her the movies so that she's ready. So kids are well indoctrinated, have been since birth. My other pick is going to be a new RPG that I just kickstarted. It's got some PDFs of the manuals out, a role-playing game for anybody who happens to like role-playing games. And it's called Masks, and it's based on the Apocalypse World system, which has is like the very, very, very best system for role-playing games out there because it makes it a lot more about what is fun and not and a lot less about dice rolling. And it's Masks, it's a superhero-based role-playing game. So I'm sure they'll be selling the books here soon. The Kickstarter's over, but I'm sure the books are... You could probably go on and still back it or something or, or purchase pre-purchase a copy. But if not, keep your eye out for it because what I've seen so far, the stuff they've set in the backers has been really good. So that's it. Those are my picks. Uh, when you said you backed an RPG, I was hoping you had backed a rocket-propelled grenade. Anyway. <laughs> AJ, what are your picks? Time. Next week, huh? You're coming over to my house? You got it. All exactly. Right. AJ, what are your picks? All right. So I'm trying to find a particular article I wanted to link to. But one of one of my picks is in defense of Comic Sans. I'm going to link to the video because I can't find the specific article. But there's you can find a number of these. And they talk about, like, we all hate Comic Sans, but there's some particular reasons that we hate Comic Sans as designers versus... Well, it just yeah. There's there are some merits to Comic Sans in the same way that there are some merits to WordPress. You know, blasphemy. Um, and also, I want to pick the Runscope T-shirt. The everything's going to be two hundred. Okay, I urge everyone on the planet to test out Runscope just for the sake of getting the T-shirt because it is the best T-shirt ever. And if I ever run into a woman who is single and wearing it, I will propose on the spot. Done deal. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. All right, Amy, what are your picks? So the first one I was going to pick, I stumbled upon this this weekend somehow, but it is, it's on GitHub. I'll put a link to it, but it's Minko Getchev. And he has a repo right now, masters at Angular 1. I think he's working on Angular 2 as well. But it runs through a bunch of different design patterns and how they're implemented in Angular. So I got a lot out of this because I've just been kind of like trying to focus on some of these um, like fundamental concepts. And it gave me, instead of just like reading something dry, it gave me like an actual use case so that, you know, I feel like when you're learning, an actual use case like that will stick in your head a little bit better. So that was pretty awesome. And uh, I've been frantically Googling for the past couple minutes to try to appease Joe. And the only pick I could come up with, I don't have a place where you can actually go do this other than if you're near Mall of America, would be Santa photos with your pets. (laughs) Uh, I know PetSmart used to do this, but... I don't know if they do it anymore. As I'm Googling, I think I've read some horror stories about people suing people and whatnot. So that could have something to do with them not doing it all the time anymore. But I was able to find a link where they're doing it at Mall of America. So I'll put that in the show notes if you want to get a picture of Santa with your pets. (laughs) 
<laughs> Amy, I'm going to jump in here and say that you missed out on probably the best possible pick you could have had. Uh, oh, no. And that is ChristmasCats.tv. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about it. ChristmasCats.tv. Link is in the show notes in case you can't figure out www.christmascats.tv. Shoot. Actually, I did have a pick. My husband was sent me this video of cats with cucumbers. I don't know if anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Did you read all the comments about how it's like animal cruelty and people are watching this? This is like eating eel. Of course, over Thanksgiving, we I cooked a bunch of like squash and zucchini, and my husband tried to do this with our cat, but didn't work. That he works. claims it was because it was a zucchini instead of the cucumber, but it was a <laughs> fail. The cat just kind of like batted at it and was like, "What the heck are you doing?" <laughs> anyway, everybody's saying it's like animal cruelty, but I can't help but laugh when I watch the video. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. <laughs> so hilarious. Anyways, All carry right. on. Well, I've got, I've got a pick. I got myself a birthday present. I actually got myself a couple of new drills. And, uh, just to give you some context, uh, my wife has picked or has bought the last three drills that we got. These are dental drills, right? <laughs> no. So one of them was a Kawasaki. I think they make motorcycles. And drills, I guess. And so uh, obviously, they would make drills if they, they make motorcycles. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. The, the other one was a drill master, and yeah, it was crappy too. And the other one was Black & Decker. They make kitchen appliances. So I got a kitchen appliance that turns screws. They just were crappy drills. So I was talking to my father-in-law, who's a general contractor, and he turned me on to these drills. The brand is Rigid. That's R-I-D-G-I-D. That's right, bro. And, Welcome uh, to the club. So uh, I got I got it on a Black Friday deal at Home Depot. And the cool thing about them is not just that they're twice as powerful as those other drills that I had. And I got the box that has the drill and the impactor, which the difference is basically in how they turn the bit. But the other thing that's nice about them is that they have a lifetime warranty on all of their parts. So uh, you have to go online and register it. And you have to hang on to the receipt and stuff until you get the confirmation that it's registered. But then uh, my father-in-law left his his drill out in the rain, and he took it back to Home Depot, and they replaced it. You know, there have been a few other things that I've been able to do now that I couldn't quite get to drill or screw before. So anyway, I really like them, so I'm going to pick those. And then the other thing that I'm going to pick is JS Remote Conf. Uh, just a quick reminder, go check that out jsremoteconf.com. At this point, you've missed the early bird when this comes out. It'll just be too late, but you can still get tickets. Several people on this call are going to be speaking. And I'm also releasing the Angular Remote Conf videos right now. If you're subscribed to the list where you get the, the episodes, then you'll get an email about it, letting you know that those videos are out and where to get them. So yeah, so that's what I've got going on and what I'm picking. Craig, what are your picks? I wanted to start. I think it's going to unfortunately be a little late, but everybody probably might know about this. But in case people don't, go check out hourofcode.com. And it's basically a movement to expose through education the younger generation to an hour of code. You can volunteer on there. I just did. I think I might have done it too late this year as well, but I'm hoping next year I'll, I'll be able to get involved. But it looks like a great cause. And I just have noticed, you know, my kids are in elementary school, both of them. And there's just not a lot of uh, education around that. So I think it's good that there are things like this. The other thing I wanted to let people know about was I just finished uh, my first egghead.io series of uh, courses. It's basically around, you know, when to use service factory or provider, which everybody's always confused about in Angular 1. It comes from 
you know, a lot of in-person training and people being confused around this concept. And I, I think I finally found a gr- good way to explain it. Um, so I recorded it and put the videos out there. I'll put a link out there. They're actually all uh, free right now. They kind of things on Egghead go from being free to not free. But so if you when you uh, hear this, maybe go check it out and hopefully they'll still be uh, all free out there so you can watch them. The last pick is an iPhone uh, iTunes game called a dark room i believe yeah i i had heard about it on i think the you guys interviewed on entreprogrammers the creator of that game and i you know just heard about it two or three different places i finally uh, bought it for my son's uh, 10th birthday when he got a new ipod and he is just so hooked on it i actually was playing another game for a while and not interested in it and i was worried that it wasn't gonna take off and then i sat down one day and played with him for like two minutes and he's like Oh my gosh, this game is awesome. I don't know how I missed this the first time. This is the best game ever. So highly recommend checking that game out. Hard to explain why it's good, but you just have to try it. Yep, I'll put a link to that in the show notes from uh, Entreprogrammers. I guess there's one more thing I should mention. I don't have any link right now, but uh, I'm finishing up a course, probably should be done in January on Pluralsight on uh, Babel, um, which I know you guys just had a great show on that. I recommend going back and listening to that if people haven't heard the the Babel JS show. So just telling people, so maybe they'll check that out. All right. Anything else that we should know about if people want to follow you or get your books or anything like that? No, I think, you know, uh, most people who have, you know, needed it have picked up a copy of the JavaScript framework guide. So I'm pretty good. But if you, you know, come by my blog at funnyant.com, I usually only send uh, emails out to people to let them know about stuff when I've got new things like the, the free course for uh on egghead or something like that feel free to sign up there all right well thanks for coming craig uh we'll go ahead and wrap up the show and we'll catch you all next week hosting and bandwidth provided by the blue box group check them out at bluebox.net bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more do you wish you could be part of the discussion on javascript jabber do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 